the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The fire of your coming, the glory of your presence, will shake the earth and every heart will know. You are Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Lion of Judah, the God of Israel. Shalom and welcome to Heart of Messiah Radio Broadcast. My name is Steve Weiler and I'm the lead rabbi of Shoresh David Messianic Synagogues. Currently we're serving in Wesley Chapel, St. Pete, South Bay near Riverview and Tampa. We welcome all visitors as we desire to see those who are Jewish and not Jewish worshiping together in unity. We're honored to serve the listening audience of AM 570 WTBN and 910 WTWD, Tampa Bay's Faith Talk. Shalom. It's great to be back. Well, let's pray. Lord Avinu Malkenu, you are our Father you are our king. We bless you. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. Lord, you have blessed us so much. And you have said to be thankful always. And Lord, we are thankful always. We will bless the Lord at all times. Amen. And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Yeshua that you would be with us as we talk more about Israel today. Bless us as we declare our love to you and thankfulness for your faithfulness in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So, uh, let us talk some more about Yom Hatzmaut, which is the celebrating of Israel's independence. We didn't really talk that much about it last week because I was giving you foundational scriptures for Israel and, and for the fact that Israel is a country that is based on God's word. And what could be better than that, right? Uh, let me just remind you, if you'd like to have the short outline that you're going to hear in this week's program um, uh, of the Jewish history in Israel and uh, the scriptures that I've talked about, just uh, call Karen at 813-831-5673. I also have mentioned the past few weeks that we have kind of fallen behind financially. If you'd like to help keep us on the air and support us, we would certainly appreciate a gift. Uh, again, call Karen at 813-831-5673 or go to the website heartofmessiah.org. Let's begin our program with the counting of the Omer today. Um, Baruch atah Adnai Eloheinu melech halam asheh kedishanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu al sifarat ha'omer. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by your commandments and has commanded us to count the Omer. Today is the first day of the fifth week, and day 29 I have counted the Omer. 
The scripture for today is one you all know, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not brag. It's not puffed up. It does not behave inappropriately. It does not seek its own way. It is not provoked. It keeps no account of wrong. It does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. The thought for today is to love someone means to see him as God intended him. That was a quote by Theodore Dostoevsky. And I believe this is why it is so difficult to love someone, to look at all God's requirements on how to love that are listed above. And I I believe in this is the reason why Yeshua says in Matthew 7, 1, we should judge not. Wouldn't you agree? I, I'm, the challenge is, in the movie Fireproof, the husband was given a 40-day love dare. Talk about stripping everything from you and being only in a position of humility and love. This is truly sacrificial love. Are you up for it? Are you willing to try a 40-day love dare, not just with your wife or husband, but with everybody you meet? Amen? Just just the thought, right? Okay. Well, let's continue where we left off last week, uh, the last scripture we spoke about, and we're talking about the foundation of Israel coming out of scripture, and we talked about Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. Uh, let's look now at Joel 4, 2. And, and again, either write down a lot, <laughs> because we're going to talk about a lot of different things today, or uh, at, call Karen and we'll send you out some things that you can study on Israel. Um, Joel 4, 2. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will plead with them there on behalf of my people. Even my inheritance, Israel, whom they scattered among the nations, and they divided up my land. This does not sound like a happy God right now with the nations. I mean, did you you see what he was getting? He, he said there were two things that they did, the nations, to his people and his land. Because it's really all God's, right? The first thing that the nations did, the scripture says, is they scattered them. They scattered the Jewish people among the nations. And the second is they divided up God's land. And that land is Israel. So God is giving us an understanding of the present and the future. And I would think we should listen to it. Amen? Zechariah 2, 14 and 16, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will live among you. It is a declaration of Adonai. In that day, many nations will join themselves to Adonai, and they will be my people and I will dwell among you. Then you will know that Adonai Tzavot, which means the Lord of hosts, has sent me to you. Adonai will inherit Judah as his portion in the holy land, and will once again choose Jerusalem. 
Do you hear the strong intentionality of God's voice? Let's look at another one. Zechariah 12.3. Moreover, in that day I will make Jerusalem a massive stone for all the people. All who try to lift it will be cut to pieces. Nevertheless, all the nations of the earth will be gathered together against her. Even though the nations will see Israel as a massive stone, I believe even though they will realize that God is with Israel, they will come against Israel and God will cut these nations to pieces. This is serious. This is why we need to pray. God's giving us an idea of what's going to happen in the near future, I believe. Zechariah 12, 9 and 10, it'll happen in that day. I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Then I will pour out the, of the, on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication when they will look toward me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn. I believe this is referring to the scripture in Romans uh, eleven twenty five, where it says that all Israel will be saved. It will be saved after the, uh, God comes and destroys the nations that come against Jerusalem. So you can check this up. This is Zechariah 12, 9 and 10. Zechariah 14, 3 and 4. Then Adonai will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies to the east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a huge valley. Half of the mountain will move toward the north and half of it to the south. So you see, when Yeshua returns, it will not be to New York or to Rome or to London, but he is returning to Jerusalem. And then continue to see in Zechariah 14, 16 through 19, then all the survivors from all the nations that attacked Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, Adonai Tzavaot, and to celebrate Sukkot, which is the Feast of Booths. Furthermore, if any of the nations on earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Adonai Tzavaot, they will have no rain. If the Egyptians do not go up and celebrate, they will have no rain. Instead, there will be the plague that Adonai will afflict on the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate Sukkot. See, we, we see at this time, the period that when they have lost, the nations have lost, and now they are coming up to Sukkot to celebrate a holy day that is in Leviticus 23, 
and and people for years will have said, well, why as Christians do we have to celebrate these holy days? Well, God is reinstituting this holy day, and you might as well get practice for it. (laughs) God certainly is clear about the past, he's clear about the present, and he's clear about the future of the people and the land of Israel and all the people around. As you follow God's story for the world to read, you follow, in a sense, the Jewish people and their land. How would it be possible to think that the Jews no longer have a right to the land of Israel? In fact, God has promised them much more land than they currently have. Remember Genesis fifteen eighteen, which talks about parts of modern-day Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, and Lebanon? However, there is also a historical secular look at why Jewish people should remain in and, and, and have this Jewish country called Israel. How long have the Jews been in Israel? When did the Arabs claim it? Yes, it begins biblically, but let's see where it goes after that. So just as we look at this concise history, we know that Abraham was roughly 2,000 years before Yeshua. Moses was roughly 1,500 years before um, a thousand years before we have King David, and he made Jerusalem the capital. Then the um, Judah and Israel were divided in 930, and Jerusalem and the first temple were destroyed, and the Jews were exiled in 586. And many of the Jews returned from Babylon somewhere between 538 and 515. We know that, remember the uh, prophetic utterance that there would be 70 years away so that you know this this is all God's plan right in 332 before Yeshua the land was conquered by Alexander the Great and it was became very Hellenistic Uh, 166 to 160 the Maccabees revolt and win and the temple is rededicated and we get the holiday Hanukkah from that then we go to Yeshua is born, and, and, and 70 years thereafter, we see the second temple now destroyed, and, um, you know, the last stand at Masada was in this time period, and uh, this is a very important date. We won't talk about it right now so much. Then we see... Um, in 132 to 136, the Bar Kokhba rebellion against Rome. That's kind of an interesting uh, thing. The Bar Kokhba revolt was a, a rebellion of the Jews of the Roman province of Judea. And the person who led it was Simon Bar Kosiba against the Roman Empire. This was, again, uh, about 132 years uh, after Yeshua. It was the last of three major Jewish-Roman wars. Now, for a brief time, Romans were forced out of Jerusalem. Um, Bar Korsiba's success caused many to believe, and among them, Rabbi Akiva, one of the wisest and holiest of Israel's rabbis, that he was the Messiah. He was nicknamed Bar Kochba or Son of Star, which is an allusion to a verse in the book of Numbers, 
2417, which says, There shall come a star out of Jacob. This star is understood to refer to the Messiah. Unfortunately, uh, Bar Kokhba did not turn out to be the Messiah, and later the rabbis wrote that his real name was Bar Kosiva, meaning son of a lie, highlighting the fact that he was the false Messiah. Okay, so continuing as we look at Israel, the Byzantine rule, they ruled from then till uh, roughly the 600s, roughly 636. Now the Arabs came in at 636, and they ruled Israel from 636 to 1099. So we know that the Dome of the Rock which was built on the site of the first and second temples, was built in 691. Okay, you following all this? But then the Crusaders came in, uh, and between 1091 and 1291, they dominated Jerusalem. And in 1291 to 1516, Mameluk uh, ruled. That was a group of, of people. But uh, let's go to a little more modern here. Uh, from 1517 to 1917, right, World War I, there was the Turkish or Ottoman rule. There were always Jewish people in the land, but not large numbers. All through all of this, there were Jewish people in the land. But things started to change in the late 1800s. Uh, first, there was something called an aliyah. Aliyah means to go up. And the first aliyah uh, was the uh, immigration on a large scale, mainly from Russia, Russia between 1882 and 1903. And then in 1897, the first Zionist Congress convened by Theodor Herzl in Switzerland. And Theodor Herzl, uh, Israel Declaration, uh, he's considered um, the spiritual father of the Jewish state of Israel. And William Heckler, which I might not have time to talk to you about today, uh, was an Anglican clergyman and a friend and somebody who helped legitimize Herzl and his vision and calling. And he's considered the father of Christian Zionism. Okay? So, we're at the 20th century now. The first kibbutz, which is uh, uh, like a little group of people who work together in Israel, and it was called Degania, and... That was 1909, and the, and the city of Tel Aviv started in 1909 as well. Now, in 1917, at the, uh, towards the end of the World War uh, I, the British were given control of Israel, and the British foreign minister, Balfour, pledged support for the establishment of the Jewish National Home in Palestine. That was what it was called at that time. And um, in 1922, Britain granted a mandate for Palestine, or Israel, 
by the League of Nations. Now, (laughs) they changed uh, a little of it, and what they did, because the Arabs were so upset, they gave three-quarters of the promised land to to Jordan, and it was actually called Transjordan, and the rest, which was only a quarter of the land, they gave to Israel. Now, in 1925, Israel, uh, uh, the Hebrew University opened in Jerusalem. In 1929, um, Jewish immigration was limited because of something called the British White Paper. Really don't have time to talk about it, but if you want to look it up, it's called the White Paper. Then we have World War II in 1939 to 1945, and obviously the Holocaust. In 1947, the UN proposes the establishment of two states in Palestine, Arab and Jewish state, but unfortunately, the Arabs refused. So, in 1948, the state of Israel proclaimed on May 14th by the United Nations um, they were granted um, the official country. Uh, May 14th, 1948, and that's why we celebrate this, uh, this time as the 71st anniversary. But unfortunately, right after they celebrated, uh, five Arab states invaded Israel on May 15th, the next day. And the War of Independence, which lasted about a year, started. Now, most Arabs who left Israel, did so under the orders of the Arab leader, the Grand Mufti. And he was actually an ally of Hitler. And he said to withdraw and let the Arab armies drive the Jews into the sea while they attempted to do this in 1948. But they lost. (laughs) Israel won. And not all of the Arabs left. Many stayed and became Israeli Arab citizens. Do you realize that 20%, imagine this, 20% of the citizens in Israel are Arabs. They are not Jews. So there's an overwhelming body of evidence from contemporary Arab, Jewish, British, and American sources to prove that far from seeking to drive the Arabs out of Haifa, the Jewish authorities went to considerable lengths to convince them to stay. During the fighting in the city in 1948, the Haganah, which was the uh, Israeli force, uh, truce terms stipulated that Arabs were expected to carry on their work as equal and free citizens of Haifa. On April 29th, even Farid Saad of the Arab National Committee was saying that Jewish leaders had organized a large propaganda campaign to persuade the Arabs to return. Wow. Well, I'm not going to have time to finish this. We're going to have to go to a third week uh, on teaching on Israel, and we'll have to finish the 20th century, certainly, and go to the 21st century and talk a lot more about Israel. A lot more to say. Please come back next week. 
If you'd like me to send you the short outline of the Jews' history in Israel that I used this week and the scriptures about Israel, just call Karen at 813-831-5673, and she'll email it to you. I also mentioned that at this time it would really be helpful to support us financially because we are not getting enough to support to stay on the air. So if you can help us in that area, we'd be blessed and because we want to stay on the air. And also come visit us at Shoresh David Congregations. We're in South Tampa, St. Pete, Wesley Chapel, and Riverview. We'd love visitors. So we also want to speak at your church. If you'd like to speak, uh, us to speak on Israel or sharing the faith with Jewish people or the feasts or the end of days, again, call Karen at 813-831-5673. May the Lord be your first priority, and may you grow in your desire to have a heart like the heart of Messiah. Let's close in prayer. Abba, Father, teach us your ways so that our hearts would be hearts of flesh and not of stone. May our words and actions always reflect the heart of Messiah, so that everyone who meets us will know that Yeshua is our Messiah and King. You are Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach, Lion of Judah, the God of Israel. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.